scary girl. Hi, everybody. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Time Stories. A weekly podcast where Sarah and I get together to talk about ghost stories, true crime, mysteries, cults, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, or even just the generally weird, eerie, spooky, strange stuff that we want to talk about that week. Why is that, Sarah? Oh, that's because this is our show, U.S. government, and not, not yours. Not fingers. <laughs> what? Brian from Michael I... Dead Fingers. If you've never listened the to this, if you never listened to this show before, Ooh, stop. stop. Go back. Go back to the beginning. Listen from episode one. Grumble Thorpe to my mouth a little bit. You don't want to just come in all willy nilly, especially we're in especially the middle not of here. A this is a part two. So. Like you are not ready for this. You at need least to stop. go back one more. Episode. Not at least go back to the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> she's right. She's right. Go back to the beginning right now. Go back. Start from the beginning from episode one. Um, otherwise, welcome back. Welcome back. We hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving, and we hope you've been on the edge of there your seat. There was no Snatcherella last week. No Snatcherella this week. Yeah. Every Wednesday, there's only, if this is Thursday, then this two is more. you missed last night. There's only two more. So you want to come in. Frankie Bradley's. Philadelphia, in case you were Philadelphia. wondering. Philadelphia. Doors are at eight. Show is at nine. Tickets are cheaper online than they are at the door. $10 online, 15 at the door. It's a rip-roaring good time. Come see it. Come see Polly and tell him you're there to see Polly Wandercracker. Like, help me get that door vote, girl. Polly Pocket right there. Polly mm-hmm. Wandercracker. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sarah. We, we ready? Yes. Y'all, gonna... hey, Sarah. Hey, hey, y'all. Wait, what's happening? Hey, Sarah. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, Leslie. Leslie. Y'all, y'all ready, ready to, to talk, talk about, about some ghosts? ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Stephanie. Waco, part two, let's go. Waco, part two. You told us about day one. You have 50 days. Day one, 50 days left. Well, we had to talk about the lead up to day one, you know, exposition. But day one, last week, day one. For you, Stephanie, you're lucky I didn't make her wait a week. We're doing this all on the same day. Oh, my gosh. I made sure to schedule it. (gasps) Let's do it. Part two, where did we leave off? Oh, right, the ATF raid. Day one. Went horribly wrong. On February 28th, 1993, after backing down because they literally ran out of ammunition, the ATF made contact with Koresh, and they came to ceasefire terms for the day. That evening, the FBI shows up. Now, bear the FBI has not been there until now. The yeah. FBI shows up because ATF agents got killed. So now yeah. they come in. With them come the hostage negotiators. Moving forward, we're going to begin to see two groups within the ATF and FBI who are working this. We've got the group that wanted to negotiate, that talked to Koresh, that wanted to see this happen peacefully, and the group that wanted to use force. And they wanted to just pull them out of there kicking and screaming. In the beginning, the negotiating group had the power. On that first day, March 1st, the ATF comes to an agreement with Koresh. He will release two children each time the local radio station plays his message about God choosing him and the seven seals. And he does. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, seven seals. All right, here's two kids. All right, two kids. Blah, 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 seven seals. All right, here's another two kids. Seven seals. I'm going to let two children free. Okay, let him go. 
All right. They play this again. Let him go. Bye. And he does. Over the course of March 1st, throughout that day, 10 children are released from the compound. However, as the FBI takes over and they bring in fucking tanks onto the land around the compound, Koresh becomes agitated. And the FBI makes it worse when they cut the phone lines to the compound. And after March 2nd, the only outgoing and incoming calls made to Mount Carmel were from the FBI. On March 2nd, David agrees to surrender after his hour, give or take, there's a little bit more to it, hour-long sermon is broadcast over national radio. So he said, if you broadcast my whole sermon, I'll do it. We'll come out. So they do it. They broadcast his entire sermon over the radio. And then they wait. And no one comes out. (laughs) And no one comes out. And David says, it's because God came and said, David, you need to wait. And that now wasn't the right time to leave. Now, this is also the beginning of several instances where David says he'll surrender or he'll let people out. And then he turns around and says, God said, I can't do it right now. JK. God said. God changed his mind. My mom said, I can't come out and play with you. Which also leads to the increased agitation of the FBI, specifically the group that wanted to go in and use force. Yeah, sure. By March 5th, 21 children had been released, and that would be the last of them. Over the next several days, many things would happen. The FBI would send in milk for the children and then proceed to cut off their electricity to the compound, just to fuck with them because they're like, well, how am I supposed to keep this milk? Milk, right. The milk's going to go bad. If you cut the electricity off, so then the FBI turns the electric back on, but they'll fuck around and they'll turn it off and on many times they'll over the next 50 days. They'll fuck around and find out Ooh. plenty of times. Boy, will they. But one main reason they sent in the milk is because they bugged the milk. And so sure. they're now getting recordings. From inside. From inside the house. Along with sending in the milk, they also sent in a video camera for David to use to speak to them. David uses it to film basically a family home movie where he introduces himself, he introduces his kids, his family. I've seen some of it. I mean, he's sitting on the ground like, he. remember, he's been shot in the stomach and in the hand. So he's like also trying to recover from that. He's sitting on the ground like all bandaged up and he's got kids all around him and they're like making jokes and he's telling the kids to say hi to to Rick and say hi to uh, the other guys, like naming them out by name, the FBI guys. He shows that no one in the compound is there as a hostage and that they're all there of their own free will and they're all happy and healthy. Once the FBI receives this tape, it was decided to not release it to the public because it might paint the Davidians in a sympathetic light. People might look at it and go, oh my God, these aren't the crazy apocalyptic cult members that you're telling us they are. They're just regular, they're a little odd. Sure, they live in a compound, but like they're not out here searching for blood. They're not out here trying to to take everything down with them and go down. Like they're just odd people living around. So the FBI is like, no, no, we can't let that out. Can't let people see that. After the FBI cut their electric again, the Davidians hang a banner outside the upper window saying, God help us, we want the press. They knew that their side of the story wasn't being told. They knew that they needed help from the outside, and the FBI did everything they could to paint the Davidians as a violent, apocalyptic cult. Now, bear in mind, this is after Jonestown, So they had experienced Jonestown. So the other thing the FBI was trying to say is, 
oh my God, this is a doomsday. This is going to end up being a suicidal cult. And they will try to paint that narrative in the end. As time goes on and Koresh refuses to surrender, the side of the FBI that wanted to use force got stronger and stronger. And they began doing some bullshit stuff. They started taunting the Davidians. So they have those army tanks. They would take them, and at one point, they just drove the tank over the grave where they had buried the Davidians who were killed in the day one of the siege. And they just drove over it, back and forth, over and over it. They also took the tanks and ran over and destroyed all the cars on the property. So one other pastime of David Koresh's was that he liked to restore old cars and like they corrected cars. There were a hundred people there, so they had cars on the property. They went in and they just ran over all these cars. They said it was so the Davidians had nothing to hide behind as possible, like places for them to, to hide and then shoot them from. So they just ran over all the cars, but it was really just a a fucking spite tactic. Also, real mature of them, they would moon the Davidians, drop trowel, moon them. I don't know. That's our our tax dollars at work right there. Finally, this is when they would start really using torture methods. They set up stadium-style lights all around the compound that they would turn on at night, completely lighting up everything. Their reasoning was so that they could see if the Davidians tried to sneak out and pull a gun on them, but really, they're using sleep deprivation tactics. They want to keep them awake. They want to wear them down. Mm -hmm. So on top of keeping the lights going, they brought out speakers. They brought out these huge speakers, and they began to play sounds 24-7. And these sounds included things like recordings of jet planes, Tibetan monks chanting, Christmas carols. And finally, they would play on loop Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Were Made for Walking. And one of the worst of all, they would play the sounds of rabbits screaming while being slaughtered. Now, to give you a little glimpse of what that might be like, I took the liberty to create a mashup of my own. Oh, my God. For you to enjoy. Sarah. Oh, no. Get ready. There are sounds of rabbits screaming. However, the video I got is not from them being slaughtered. It's just from them fucking screaming to scream. This is what it was like at, like, 2.30 in the morning. But not all of them at the same time. No, but sometimes they would overlap them. Sure. Just think, 2.30 in the morning. You finally fell asleep. The light you can see behind your eyelid glowing red. You've gotten used to it, though. Your brain is finally starting to shut down. And then you hear this. Real loud. There it comes to feel the bass. You keep saying you got something for me. Something you call love, but confess. And you made this. These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots are gonna walk all over you. I 
imagine ATF uh, agents all making that face that you're making right now, just <laughs> laughing. I'm just really proud of my work. Oh, <laughs> that's what they said. All jokes aside, that was very torturous. Um, but I also am very proud of myself. The FBI sucks, though. So the FBI then begins the process of planning to go in with force and take the compound. They petition the new general attorney, Janet Reno, to let them- I remember Janet Reno. I'm reminding you now, this is one of the first things that she did. They went to her and said, please let us use tear gas to smoke them out. And she was like, I don't don't think that's a good idea. At first, she's like, "Mm, why don't we keep waiting? Then time goes on, time goes on. Money is being spent on sure. this. She's like, y'all have been there a Ruby while. Ruby Ridge made it look bad. And on April 14th, David Koresh says, I got another message from the Lord. A message, a message from the Lord. Now, how many days into this, like, hold on, are they? February 28th to April 14th. 15? No. January, February, March. They went through a whole month. February 28th to April 15th. We are... Five days away from the last day. So Koresh says he got another message from God. And this message tells him that all he has to do is to write out the seven seals. Explain Mark, the seven all he seals. Has to do, Hoffman. David, all he has to do, Koresh, is write out the seven seals. And once they've been written, then everyone can leave and he'll surrender. And this will all be over and his message will get out. And that's all that it was. That's all that this is for. That's what God said. The negotiators were like, cool, we got a light at the end of the tunnel. We can see this happening. The other half did what you just did, which is they went, oh, God. I've been here 50 days already. I've been here too long. This is just another fucking stall tactic. So, again, this is where you see a split. So the negotiators are like, this is great. We've got it. This is the final thing. Just let him write them out. How long is it going to take, David? Two weeks, two weeks. And they're like, okay, great. Two weeks, we can do this. The rest of the force is like, give us the tear gas. Let me at them, let me at them. Uh, and they are just not buying that. He means this. They see it as another stall tactic. Sure. And so did Ra- Janet Reno. Because on April 17th, she approved the use of tear gas on the compound. April 18th, as tanks bash the final cars on the property, a vintage El Camino and David Koresh's very own Camaro. On the phone, Koresh warns the negotiator, you're going to place this day in the history books as one of the saddest days in the world. He says they're destroying evidence, covering up for the ATV, doing wrong before God, the before man, or ATF. Uh, in front of those ATVs out there, can you get them out of here, please? Now, it is worth noting that during this 51-day standoff, the FBI voiced concern that the Branch Davidians might commit mass suicide, as had happened in the 1978 Jim Jones-Jonestown complex, which we all know about. However, Koresh repeatedly denied any plans for a mass suicide when confronted by negotiators during the standoff, and people who did leave the compound, so people left the compound over the 51-day siege, they were never stopped by David Koresh. If they wanted to leave, they could leave. Now, as soon as they left, they fucking got arrested. Sure. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Anyone who left and any of the survivors said that they had no knowledge of any planned mass suicide. Yeah. 
April 19th, 1993, the original plan was to go in, take the tanks, use them to punch holes in the walls of the buildings so that they could pump in the CS gas, which is a specific type of tear gas that they're using. They say that this tear gas is non-lethal, but is in any capacity, I feel like if you're overdosed gonna on it, it's going to be the lethal. house with a tank and then there's some tear gas in there. That's all. That's the plan. And it's going to smoke them out to try and force the Branch Davidians out without harming them. The stated plan called for increasing amounts of gas to be pumped in over two days to increase pressure. Officially, no armed assault was to be made. Loudspeakers were used to tell the Branch Davidians that there were no armed assaults and to ask them to not fire on the vehicles. According to the FBI, the hostage rescue team agents had been permitted to return any incoming fire, but they still maintain that no shots were fired by the ATF on April 19th. And that is a fucking lie. When several Branch Davidians opened fire, the FBI hostage rescue team's response was only to increase the amount of gas being used. This is the official statement you will find. However, we know that the agents did indeed fire shots that day, and they also increased the amount of gas. 6 a.m. April 19th, the FBI negotiator calls the Davidians to tell them of the gas plan. They said, hey, we're going to be releasing tear gas. It's non-lethal. Please do not use force. Please come out. We're asking you to leave. And then the tanks moved forward on the compound. So the tanks started going. The Davidians had gas masks. They were prepared for this. And the ATF knew that they had gas masks. So they knew that going in. But I will state, they do not make gas masks for children. They only make them for adults. So they knew that these children would not have adequate protection from this tear gas. They were going to pump it in anyway. So the Branch Davidians covered the children's face, nose, and mouth with wet cloths, and the women and the children went down into this concrete bunker that they had under the compound. Yeah. The ATF alleges that the Davidians started shooting first. And let's remember, the press was there. So when all of this happened, the press had been covering this since day one. Yeah. The press was there when all of this went down. The press was there before the ATF was I there. know. They were there an hour early. However, the press was ma- was located and relegated by the ATF to the front of the building. Yeah. The back of the building is where the tomfoolery happens. Sure. Because they know the press can't see it. The ATF knew the front of the compound would be broadcast, so everything that happened there needed to go according to plan. But the back of the compound was a completely different story. We know and can speculate and people have analyzed what happened back there because there was a helicopter circling the compound during this final assault. And the helicopter was taking this type of thermal imaging uh, sort of video. So it's not a crystal clear picture, but you can see the compound. You can see people moving, but it's mainly hot spots is what you're seeing. So with that, you can see the video, you can see the heat from people, and then you can see little flashes of light that they say is indication of gunfire. Gunshots, yeah. 
They say that you see the little flashes of light coming from the army tanks behind the compound. And analysts who have looked at the footage say it looks like the following happened. The tanks rolled up and the agents inside came out and opened fire. They shot anyone leaving the building. And one eyewitness survivor has talked about watching a tank run over a fellow Davidian, crushing them, tearing their arms off. It's later shown on another camera, a tank leaving the back of the compound with red fabric on the treads. That person, later they find a body absolutely mangled with a red sweater. Yeah. As the Davidians continue to stay inside, the FBI began to increase the amount of gas being unloaded. Originally, it was supposed to take two days to release the gas. They ended up releasing all of it within two hours. Oh, my God. The tanks demolished walls. There is footage of a tank. Yeah, the idea that they're going to bump into the house and poke a hole to throw a grenade. That's the no. dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. And they started, yeah, demolishing walls. There is footage showing a tank rolling over the top opening of where the underground bunker where the kids were and just kind of parking there. And now we get to the most controversial part of this entire story. Which is who really started the fire? Some people say Davidians. I say the FBI. Who really started the fire? Was it an wow. act of God or was it act of government? I say government. At 12 p.m., April 19th, a fire started in the compound. Six hours later. It is said that it seemed to start simultaneously at three different places on the compound. You combine that from three different ATF agents starting a fire. Sure when it fucking seems like it. You combine those fires starting with the extremely flammable tear gas that's already there. The holes opened in the walls, the walls blown down, creating an entire wind tunnel. And then you also have to bear in mind that there is gasoline stored in the compound because they've been using gas to light their lamps and to work their oven and their stove because the FBI cut off electricity. All of this created a huge fireball that suddenly went up through the main tower and then whipped from one side to the next, completely engulfing the compound in flames. Yeah. All of this was caught on news camera. Mm -hmm. And I want to play a little bit of the broadcast from CNN when this moment happened. Well, as you can see, the parts of the building have collapsed. The fire has indeed engulfed the vast majority of this compound that has been the Bonnie, site. the entire roof is gone. The entire roof is gone. Mike, what else can you yes. tell us? Any uh, sign of firefighting equipment? I know No, none whatsoever. And uh, there, there's our shot from, uh, you'll remember, Bonnie, what we refer to as farm cam. That's looking uh, from the north side into the compound. Uh, apparently, the uh, north side is, is not involved yet. But it appears the rest of the compound is filled with uh, that orange fire and acrid uh, black smoke. So here he said, no firefighters. None. None. Why is that? Because the FBI didn't let them through? Yes. 100%. The FBI kept them at the back of the road saying it was for their safety and didn't let them through. Or maybe it's because... They wanted the fire to fucking burn all of the evidence. Or, honestly, lack of evidence for them needing to be there in the first fucking place. Yeah. 
They kept the firefighters up at the end of the road, claiming it was for their safety, but many believe it was so the fire could burn any evidence left behind. They also, there's video of it, used the tanks to push debris into the flames, also effectively destroying evidence. Mm -hmm. There's also apparently other pictures, footage of them going back in the next day and like pouring bleach on stuff and just totally destroying, covering up what happened. All in all, at the end of the day on April 19th, 1993, nine people survived and got out and 76 perished, including David Koresh himself. Koresh was found to have died from a gunshot wound along with his right-hand man, Steve Schneider. Autopsies of the dead revealed that some women and children found beneath a fallen concrete wall in the bunker room died of skull injuries, literally were crushed to death by the falling concrete caused by the goddamn tank rolling over the bunker. Autopsy photographs of other children locked in what appear to be spasmic death poses are consistent with cyanide poisoning, one of the results produced by burning CS gas. Autopsy records also indicate that at least 20 Branch Davidians were shot, including Koresh, as well as five children under the age of 14. The official report from the FBI says that these were mercy killings or that the Davidians shot the children and themselves for a quicker death. But there is also a theory that where these people were holed up in the compound, they were all found in the same area. There was a small opening at the back end of it to the outside, but the ATF was stationed right out there. It's thought that the ATF executed these people. Once again, as a way to cover up evidence. Yeah. Because once everything started to hit the fan and once people were not coming out, especially the children, the ATF is like, now we fucked up. Now we fucked up. We have fucked up now. This is way worse than Ruby Ridge. What are we going to do? We've got to find a way to twist this narrative to make it look like it was out of our control that they killed themselves, which that's the other big narrative, is that this was a mass suicide. Right. And that David Koresh ordered them to light the building on fire to burn everything. Right. Whereas other people say that the FBI burned it to the ground. In the aftermath, no ATF or FBI agents were charged with anything other than a slap on the wrist, and that was because they lost their element of surprise not because they killed anybody. The surviving 12 Davidians were all indicted and charged with the murder of federal officers and unlawfully possession of used various firearms. After a jury trial lasting nearly two months, the jury acquitted four of the Branch Davidians on all charges. Additionally, the jury acquitted all of the Branch Davidians on the murder-related charges, but convicted five of them on lesser charges, including aiding and abetting the voluntary manslaughter of federal agents. Eight Branch Convidians were convicted on firearms charges. Six of the eight Branch Davidians appealed both their sentences and their convictions. No matter what, the people who survived were tied up in court and litigation for another few years and suffered the court fees. Ain't that some bullshit? Which they paid to the government. And the government's the one who caused it. 
Today, there is a memorial in Mount Carmel to the citizens who lost their lives there. They've got a plaque. I believe there's a little place where you can walk around. But the most notable thing to come out of the massacre at Waco would happen exactly two years later on April 19th, 1995, when a man named Timothy McVeigh went and parked a truck outside the Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, a truck that was planted with bombs, committing the largest domestic terrorist attack in the United States, killing 168 people, including 19 children. Timothy McVeigh would later note that the actions taken at Waco were one of his main reasons for the attack in Oklahoma City. But that is a story for another week. Not this one. But because of the way Waco was handed, handled, Timothy McVeigh so so inspired to and do something against the government. Fun fact, Timothy McVeigh was at Waco. He was there in the middle of the 50-day standoff. There's pictures. He was at Waco. He was selling bumper stickers about, you know, keep your hands off my guns. Sure. Because one big thing about Waco, and not to get super political because we didn't mention it last week, but with the Kyle Rittenhouse charges where another murderer has been allowed to walk free, because all of these people got all up in their feelings trying to say that this was about Second Amendment rights when it's not, where were all these people defending the Branch Davidians for their Second Amendment rights? Right. Timothy McVeigh was one of those people. <laughs> so <No>. there's, <laughs> that leads to a whole other no. fucking, these are the people who are supporting Timothy McVeigh, supporting Kyle Rittenhouse. If I got real into the nitty gritty, I could be like, this will then lead us to what happened on January 6th of this year because it is all tied and that tie is white supremacy. White supremacy and this idea that like <laughs> white supremacy is clutch because then the idea that like, oh, somebody's going to come for my guns, but they don't talk about like black people who that legally had a gun who were shot yep. by police, yep. even though like they had their gun legally. Like, But you didn't second? know what they but were they weren't do white, with it. But they weren't white. And though. did they have a background? Mm, what was he wearing? Oh, like, girl. It, yeah. Absolute bullshit. But. We're not getting into that right now because unlike Ruby Ridge and unlike actually Timothy McVeigh, the Branch Davidians were not white supremacists. They were weird and they were a cult. But as far as I have learned in my research, I don't think they were racist. They weren't <laughs> openly <laughs> racist. I mean, it was Texas. Sure. But. They and they um, went because Ruby Ridge happened the year before the FBI showed up. So David Koresh knew about Ruby Ridge. He knew that this when the ATF started sniffing around, he knew that Trouble. it could be a similar situation yeah. because of what just happened. Um, but he didn't like that they were putting him in the same area as Randy Weaver because Randy Weaver was a white supremacist. Yeah. So that's how all of that ties together. But I think I've I've talked on everything. There are. I'm kind of torn myself on who necessarily totally started the fire. I think it was a cumulative effort of the tear gas being shot in there. They also used um, explosive. It was found later in like 
2000 during a different research, the Danforth report, that they did use like flash grenades that would Mm. then explode, which could ignite the gas that's in the air. But you remember the milk carton bugs? They say they got audio on those cartons of people talking about gasoline, people saying, did David say to pour it out? And things along that nature. But I find it to be not as conclusive as the FBI came in and shot up your whole place with and tear then gas. And ran everything over and burned it to the And ground. then ran it over and opened it up so that the wind planes of Waco, Texas could provide fuel for the flame so that they could get away with what they did so that none of them got in trouble. Yeah. I absolutely I hate do. all of it. I hate it. I fucking hate it. So that's the story of what happened at Waco, Texas. It's incredibly tragic, incredibly devastating, and a very well-noted example of a time when the U.S. military- The U.S. government used the U.S. military against its own U.S. citizens, which it is not supposed to be. You're not supposed to do that. There's a law against that, I'm pretty sure. Oh, honey. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Though. Um. Well, it's like I was explaining to Val. I think it was a an Eddie Izzard bit that I heard from my my youth, mm-hmm. which is just that like, well, when you're killing your own citizens, like nobody does anything about it. It's when you start to kill people next door. That's when they're <laughs> that like, around the minute. world. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um. Um. I talked about like you know we talk about Hitler, right? Hitler is always the example of like Hitler was a bad guy. He killed all these people across Europe. But there is uh, Pol Pot was in Cambodia and, of course, Stalin in Russia. They killed a ton of their own people, like a ton of their own people. It was localized. And nobody really (laughs) gave a shit. But Hitler, like he started, as as Eddie Izzard puts it, Hitler started killing people next door. And everybody was like, oh, Hitler! Where there was, yes, there was white supremacy, but also like, He was not just killing in Germany. There was Austria. There was Poland. Like, it was across Europe. Whereas, like, Stalin, like, he, Stalin killed Russians. (laughs) So everybody's like, well, those are yours. I mean, I don't, I don't agree with it, but it's your property. Like, I'm not going to tell you what to do on your own property. That would be (laughs) un-American. So, but it's not un-American. That's Uh, what we're saying. With the, uh, the ATV and with the government, or the ATV. I I know, right? The ATF. um, ATF. Yeah, the American government, man, like. We'll we'll tell you not to what not to do, but also like we'll tell you we'll like we'll we'll fucking tell you what not to it's do. It's also one of those things where I'm just like, this is another proof of if the government wants to get you for something, like they'll get you. They're gonna. It get doesn't you. matter. They'll find something. Yeah, something. And when we talk about, it, it's also this, <laughs> like they weren't doing anything illegal. Yeah, I don't agree with what right? was happening, but also like illegal like, against the same U.S. government that's like deciding, yeah, whether or not how illegal it is. I don't know. It's all up in the air. It's all of my. I, I hate all of it. That's again. I hate all I, of it. I'm just like I don't know what they were trying to accomplish by going in with 76 agents and storming this 76 compound. 76 trombones. They're just like, they're When they could him. have arrested Koresh when he was outside of the compound, they could have shown up when he invited them to come and look. Like, Somebody they could have done those. They were day. just out. Person, they were out for somebody it. Somebody in charge was out for blood that day. They That's were like, oh, an apocalyptic cult in the middle of nowhere. They have weird sex stuff and maybe guns. The public is I gonna I never thought I would this. have a chance to go up against this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity threat to the American dream little did they know heaven's gate was around the corner but 
Well, everybody, I want to thank you for coming along on this wild ride. Thank that you was so much. Wago, Texas. Wago. Uh, also known for Dr. Pepper and Baylor the home University. Of Dr. Pepper, if you it didn't is. know. You know, when I was a kid, I went to the Dr. You Pepper know, that's factory. That's why they call it Mount Carmel. <laughs> Did you know that? Because of the smell from all the smell. The smell from the spilled Dr. Dr. Pepper. Late at night when it's hot and it's warm, you can see it. You guys can support our show by supporting our Patreon, by writing us emails at deadtimestories, all one word, with a Z, at gmail.com. You can also listen to us. You're listening to us now. You can but go tell and buy a Dr. Pepper. You can listen to us on iTunes, on Spotify, on SoundCloud, on all the places where you could be listening to podcasts. Tell them they should be listening and they should be signing in with all of their various accounts to leave us five star reviews. Absolutely. And that's it, man. And then I guess we'll be having one more episode or whatever before the holiday. I don't even know. I don't, I don't know what know. the schedule is. We'll figure it out. Well, yeah, we'll figure it out. We're going to record some more. But you won't, need... you wouldn't even know the fucking difference, would you? No. Nope. Listener. There we go. Berate them. You're into it. You love it. You, I need you to just take pig. a break you from Waco for a little bit. I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going to go have a pepper, which is the, one of the slogans for Dr. Pepper. Is it? I'm I, I thought it was you... have a pepper. And isn't the other one, it's... um. 10, 12, and 4, it's always a time for a pepper. Hold on. I want to say, I, I'm i trying to remember, I always want to say there's like 23 herbs and spices, but it's not herbs no, and spices. No, that's, that's KFC. KFC. But there are 11 herbs and spices at KFC. It's Dr. Pepper has like 23. <laughs> yeah, be a pepper was one. Be a pepper. 23 spices in Dr. Fla- the 23 flavors in Dr. Pepper are cola, cherry, licorice, amaretto, almond, vanilla, blackberry, apricot, are you gonna name caramel, all 23? pepper, anise, sarsaparilla, ginger, molasses, mm. lemon, plum, orange, nutmeg, cardamom, allspice, coriander, juniper, birch, and prickly ash. Well, that'll give me time. I did know. I knew that was right. I knew there were 23 spices, but I don't know what the like what their slogan is around the 23 flavors. There we go. The one of the originals was ten, two, and four because it's always time for a pepper. What? At like ten o'clock, two o'clock, and four o'clock. Sure, but what do those numbers have to do with anything? Like ten o'clock in the morning, two o'clock for lunch, four o'clock before you leave for I work. Yes. I don't know. That's just what it was. Like that was the image. Do they sell Dr Pepper in your country? I was gonna say this is a type of of soda. If you haven't picked up, it was created in Waco, Texas. There's a wonderful. Uh, museum there where they still also bottle it. I have been, I have pictures in a scrapbook of me and my brother standing together in front of the Dr. Pepper plant in Waco, Texas. It's a good, it's a pretty good soda. All right. I'm I'm into it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this has been Dead Time Stories. Thank you for listening. Your one-stop shop for all things soda related. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Ferguson. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. Should we do more soda stuff? Is it? More soda stuff? I thought you were going to end with pop, but we're not from the Midwest. I stop shop for soda pop. Well, normally I always say Coke, but I try to stop saying Coke for everything. And people say that's a Southern thing, but that is a very specific part of the South because we don't do that where I'm from. You don't do Coke? <laughs> well, <laughs> recreationally, <laughs> maybe. Um, no, we don't call every no. soda Coke. It's, it's soda. Like a Coke is a Coke, but also Pepsi is from North Carolina. So it might just be a North Carolina thing that they don't call everything a Coke. Um, But people and (laughs) I think one of the funniest things is I never knew people like this until I got older. 
But people who are like, I'll have a, I'll have a Pepsi, and they're like, is Coke okay? And they're like, no, I'll have a water. Sometimes I do that if it's Pepsi. If it's, it's vice versa, I've got Pepsi. Mm. I'll have an iced I'll tea. Have a, yeah, I'll have a lemonade. Well, and I pick lemonade. That's my go-to. Okay. But I remember my sister used to be like, I will have whatever your cola-flavored beverage is. No, ma'am. Because that could mean Dr. Pepper or Coke, and those are two very different colas. No, or Dr. Beer. Pepper has 23 flavors, and cola is only one of them. <laughs> That's why I said they're very different. But if you said, I like if I said, I just feel like when I would get home for the day or I would be home, my parents would be like, we're going to grab something to drink. Like, do you want something? I'll be like, oh, I'll have a Coke. But if you and say that, that could mean you whatever mean... dark no. colored soda is in the no. fridge. Because I could be like, oh, I'll have a Coke. And they hand you me a Dr. That Pepper because me, that's that means here. a Coke. That means specifically a Coke. No, I understand. I'm just saying. Don't group us together. We are not from the same part of the South. I'm not trying to. God damn. No, I'm letting the listeners know. I'm from Waco area. I know. I know. I'm from from Michael Jordan area. (laughs) I know. You know, once. Don't confuse us. This will be my last bit. I'm Dawson's Creek. Sarah is Waco. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm Dallas. Literally. The show of, Dallas. There's all sorts of bullshit in Dallas, too. Um, I, Baylor University, I did a church camp there one summer. Stayed on the campus. And the house that they use for all the outside shots of Dallas, the TV show Dallas, is where we had our prom. I love that for you. That's where I'm from. They filmed the basketball scenes of One Tree Hill in the gym at my high school. Was Stacey Dubowski in the background? She was. Wow. She would tell me in physics class that she was going to stay after school to be an extra. That's what you did. You stayed after school to be an extra in One and Tree that's Hill. that's what she did. I never did because I didn't drive, so I didn't have a way to get home if I stayed after. See, and now Stacey Dubowski has that fantastic career. It's my mom's career. fault I'm not famous. <laughs> I'm Stephanie. We already did this. We're just done. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Bye.